I was sweaty and gross when I got home. God, like, you guys really needed to know that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That'll just be the start of the commentary. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag things never wanted to hear Riley say what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, because of course it will be. Um... <laughs> Welcome to the One More Turn series commentary over at OneMoreTurn.net. I am series creator and Hudson voice actor, Daniel Dank You Quick, and I am joined by the voice performer for Riley, Stephanie Makalua. Hello. Not enough caffeine as usual. Annalie Cartamandua Barney, who voiced Bella. Greetings. Jennifer Lund, the voice performer for Avery. Hi. Ayla Kalina Redes, who voiced Reese. Hi. The voice actor for Carson, it's Scott Alvashar Dirk. Hi, Dan. And Canis Albanus, the ultimately the most important credit, of course, the voice of man. Most important, huh? I deserve a raise. <laughs> Dan will double your zero to double zero. Can you be a double O agent? I got paid in podcasts. There you go. <laughs> you got paid by inheriting a podcast. Hey, some of us have been here since, you know, season one. So watch yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, before that, Candace was our voiceover artist Ooh, for most of season four and season five productions. I was trying to remember how many years ago we started. I know it was before I started my grad program, which was like 300 years ago. So we were in a house. Because <sighs> I remember my desktop I, tower was still new. <laughs> what I, I just started my MBA program and it was one of my random get to know you things was that I'm in this dramedy, podcast dramedy, and everyone wanted to know what it was. And I was really nervous to tell people because <laughs> it was so new. Like we had just started, I feel like. The series itself premiered on April 2nd, 2014, but I first disclosed the existence of this series during a turncast recording over at polycast.net on the 31st of December of 2013. I like yeah. the disclosed as though it were a state secret or something. <laughs> wow. Six so years 20, ago. April 2nd, 2014. So that was a wedding anniversary for me. Ultimately, it took six seasons across six calendar years. There were a couple of years where there were a couple of seasons, and then there was this interruption for some reason. I don't know exactly why Didn't that just happened. Just, crazy? I think he, like, went and got married or something? I, oh, I don't know. It's a rumor I oh. keep hearing. This is just slightly faster than the BBC, so that's good. Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's got this across all of space and time feel to Breaking news. <laughs> I will just say briefly, as an aside, you mentioned the BBC course, I was the lead host and the creator of Polycast, again, over at thepolycast.net. I joined the TD Gaming Podcast, which Jordan Lund, who did our voiceovers for seasons two and three and some of seasons four and five, who was a regular when I joined as a regular. Right. The first episode that I was a regular co-host, there was a comment on the TD Gaming Podcast. And of course, there's lots of general gaming podcasts on the internet. I wouldn't even try to begin to try to count. And there was this letter that said, Dan, I listen to Polycast, I listen to the TD Gaming Podcast, and I listen to the BBC Podcast. So if you can get yourself on the BBC Podcast, then you'll be on every podcast I listen to. And I thought, are you telling me there's actually a crossover, like there's a shared audience between these two podcasts? 
it was just one of those moments that's just so random. And I thought, what in the? That's awesome. My kids are still awake, so things might get crazy as they get more tired. Oh, and you're afraid they're going to find out at such a young age that you're on a podcast or two. Oh, I'm so sorry. There are things that we need to protect them from. Have you had that talk with them yet? (laughs) If you don't talk to your children about podcasts, who will? The internet will. Other things that have changed since we started this thing. I have kids now. Hey, my kid got married. That's even better. She got rid of a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Just give yourself about another 15, 20 years and you'll be doing the same thing. (laughs) Going, oh God, my kid got married. What? Uh, I run my own business. I take care of my grandparents who are sick. One of them, at least. The other one's dead. You did do a good job taking care of that one, did you? Well, (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't my fault. I'm sorry, that was insensitive. I apologize. First off, I felt the fact that Candace felt the need to defend himself for that, number one. Number two, look, Annalie, you're not Bella anymore, okay? The character, the series... I don't have to act like Bella. (laughs) I don't have to be as derpy as Riley. I'll go put myself on timeout now. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening to the series commentary and you haven't finished the series yet, spoiler alert, big time. (laughs) Spoiler alert, there's a man in this. Just one. There's only one man. There is only one man. And I'm not certain people would necessarily object to that statement, having listened to the entire show. (laughs) There's several boys. Several boys. And a man-child. There's a (laughs) man-child. Boys, a man-child, a woman-child. It has been a journey of six seasons for this dramedy series of geeks dealing with non-geeky problems. And this is a bittersweet recording. It will probably, uh, and certainly for the foreseeable future, but also probably the last time that all of us gather to talk about this series, because we're recording a series commentary because the series has come to an end. And really, this segues well into our first question. Your first reactions when you learned that season six was to be the series last? Um, it's true, dramatic to say I cried, but I felt like crying. Because it was just another piece of the, oh no, Dan's married, his life is changing, and now he's not going to be with us as much. The reason for the delay between the recording of episodes 601 to 613 in 2017, and then the remainder 614 to 619 in 2019, is because I got engaged, got married, bought a house, even bought a puppy before we returned to do the second hi miley the second part of season six recordings it was a personal decision it was primarily a personal decision but i also felt like i as the writer anyway of the show could put people in a good place put the characters in a good place answer some major questions but at the same time leave questions open for the future as well and a lot of that was uh also, I covered that in the season six commentary, so I won't reiterate that any more than that. Jennifer, what were your first reactions when you learned that season six was going to be one more turns last? Oh, man. <laughs> 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 I've really enjoyed this. This is frankly one of my favorite things that has come out of my tangential association with the TD Gaming podcast. I've had a lot of fun with all of this, and I'm sad to see it go. Yeah, because you joined us in Season 2 as Avery, and I mean, Candice, you joined us in Season 4, or Season 4 and 5 as the voiceover artist, and then became Man in Season 6. 
Canister character had four appearances in the last season, and you were Avery for 25. Good lord! Of the series is ultimately 84 episodes, Jennifer. Yeah. Annalee, you have been Bella since the beginning of the series. Bella ultimately appeared in 29 episodes of the series. What were your first reactions when you learned that season six was going to be its last? Um, I think, that, you know, kind of a mixture of sadness with this little family that has been created here. But also, there's kind of a sense of pride, right? That something that was started so long ago is getting a dignified end, if that makes sense. It wasn't going to just be left off, maybe forgotten halfway through a season or something. Because you never know, right? Things get busy and things get dropped. And I thought it was really nice that we were able to finish it off strong and give it a nice goodbye. Though it it is kind of one of those bittersweet things, because this has been kind of a a long-going side project, right, for the past several years. And kind of one of those things that we do and we're aware of in the back of our minds as we go through life that we're part of. Yeah, so it's been fun to be part of it. And it's a little bit sad to see it go, but happy that it's ending well. And just to tie a couple of comments that have been made first off with you, Annalie, you joined, again, the show right from the beginning as Bella. Before that, you were a regular co-host on Polycast over at the polycast.net, uh, which I co-founded and was the lead co-host on. And as we sit here and record it, Makalua is the last original co-host standing on that show, which is now owned, and the lead co-host is Canis. Hi. <laughs> Speaking of inheriting things. Jennifer made reference to the TD Gaming Podcast. Jonah Jonah Falcon ultimately became the lead co-host and owner of the TD Gaming Podcast, where her husband, Jordan Lund, was also a lead co-host. I was invited on as a guest by Jonah, and then I became a regular co-host on the show. And it was through that, Jennifer, actually the first thing that we recorded together was the Doctor Who TD Gaming Podcast special. It was Doctor Who, wasn't it? was Doctor Who. And I was on the TD Gaming Podcast between April 2012 and January 2013. And this series, I started writing this in the summer of 2013 and started getting people together later that year. And then ultimately, the first episode was released on the 2nd of April, 2014. And Polycast itself has been around since 2006. (laughs) So Polycast is still going strong now in season 13. And so a lot of these connections... These people that have been a part of the show from the beginning, I already had some existing association with them and either had them in mind for a particular role or wanted them to try out, wanted them to be part of the group of people that say, hey, we already have this existing association with podcasting or gaming in general, which tangentially, and as the series went on, seemingly even less so one more turn had to deal with. And so it was just part of that extended family that you were referring to there, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. All right, Mackie. Mm-hmm. You, again, voiced Riley. You tied Michael Ubermarklar Bryant, who voiced Caleb, with the most appearances on the show with 45 episodes. Wow. Well, it's kind of funny that man-child and woman-child are about equal amount of appearances. <laughs> you are the first person to say that I know of woman-child when referring to Riley, and I think that's extremely appropriate, and I almost kind of wish it was somehow in the series, but it's not. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things you thought of afterwards, it's like, you know, that's actually what she is. They're just the gender flip of each other, almost. They're making different kinds of mistakes, but they're making similar mistakes from an area of not being mature enough. Yes. They're getting better, but they both still have a lot of work to do. Absolutely. What were your reactions when you first learned that season six was to be the last for one more turn? 
Well, given that that followed everything with the engagement and stuff, it's like, ah, uh, this is the whole era of life coming to an end and changing thing. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's like other people have already said that it's good that everything got tied together somewhat at the end and got a good send off. Because I think everybody here has been frustrated by like TV series that it comes to an end just kind of abrupt or it gets canceled in between seasons and you never find out what happened with X, Y or Z. Yeah. And it is a little bit sad because doing the voice acting for it has been fun. And half of the fun has been in the stuff that ends up on the blooper reel. Because we get up to ridiculous stuff in between times. And, I, you know, and even Dan doesn't give you guys, the people who are listening. You haven't heard everything that's been said. So, Well, no, no. <laughs> I think, well, over the years that we've known each other, I mean, we may not be active hang out all the time friends but i've known you and dan for over 10 years now right yeah yes yeah and maybe 11 i can't i'm not sure so but it's like we have this great friendship that's kind of behind the scenes and it makes it really fun to get together to do these things like recordings yeah if there wasn't some already some existing friendships here that gave the basis for the chemistry between characters and stuff and then we added new people in, and it got to be an even better mix as things went on, and we added more people into the series. So, you know, you know, it's, it's sad that this particular group isn't going to be back together as often again unless something else comes up. But at the same time, it's it good the show ended the way it did before it got too long and drug on, like I've seen TV series do before. But at a good spot where you can feel hopeful that all the characters might go on to live a good life. Well, as we discussed, I believe it was during the recording of episode 614 to 619, Canice is working on the new fiction podcast for all of us to be voice performers on. By the way, thanks, Canice. Um, hold up. <laughs> Someone just got voluntold. Actually, that was, I did make that joke once, and I wasn't entirely joking. Oh. But things are going to have to settle down just a little bit in my life before that can happen. Yeah, you've been having a time of it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm barely keeping up with Polycast right now. It's okay. The penalties for not having that show ready don't kick in for another seven and a half years. You've got time. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, was this in the contract when I decided to take over Polycast? Oh, I signed years. no papers. Oh, smart. Very smart. <laughs> You're right, Annalie, that not all of us hang out on a regular basis online, but when we do, it's... Like, no time has passed at all. Even in between recording the first part, the first 13 episodes of season six, and then the last six, even though it had been two years, it was, in some respects, it seemed just like yesterday. We just picked up right where we left off with the banter, which I think is so important in a series that whether you're doing it for money or not, whether it's in person or not, there's video or there's not, if you are trying to be somebody that you are not, in the sense of a character, and you can't laugh and joke and at least be civil with each other, there needs to be more than that, that it comes through that you're not just reading lines anymore, that you know that you're a character and someone else is a character, but at the same time, you're also characters in real life, and you, you bring that to the show. And I remember in one of the earlier commentaries, Canis, you were amongst those that said that the scripts were maturing in the sense that the dialogue didn't sound like different versions of Dan as much. <laughs> there was more of the speech patterns and the terminology of the particular voice performers, and it was easier for me to take that into account once that was established and some of the ad-libbing that came up ended up being kept in the show, or I ended up using the ad-libbing consciously or unconsciously and writing the lines in the future, and it just made it that much more natural. So ultimately, by the end of the series, with I would say even including man, although obviously to uh, 
a much lesser degree, that there was some element of each of the voice performers in every one of the characters, and and wanting to finish the series as well, realizing it had been a couple of years, not having regular contact with some people. I was concerned that that might not be able to be possible. I might not be able to reestablish contact, or even if I did, gee, Dan, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore for whatever reason. I didn't want the series to be left in the lurch. You know, episode 601 to 613, it was never intended to be the end of the series. I could have just taken the May 217 recordings, done that, and published it, and said, nope, no more. But I thought I wanted to at least give it a chance, and I also needed to wait until things kind of settled a little bit more in my personal life, and then ultimately, Polycast, which now Canis owns and manages, was no longer in my control, because that show had much more demands on my time, and I didn't want it to suffer and one more turn to suffer, so I had to wait until I had time in my schedule, and also that my family, i.e. my wife, said, yes, I understand and recognize this is important to you, here you go off, you do this recording, particularly since we got the puppy in November of 2018. She's like, I will look after her. But to be able to do that was very important, and I didn't want to leave it in the lurch, because there was no reason for it me to cancel it without ending it, or at least trying in some way. And the fact that people were able to come back, either because they were part of the recording, or they couldn't be part of the recording, and they sent me their lines, which meant I could include them in the final episode and have those characters appear to give them at least some kind of send-off. Ayla, you joined us in Season 5, voicing Reese, and Reese was ultimately in 10 episodes across those two seasons. What was your first reaction when you learned that Season 6 was going to be the last for one more turn? I was a little sad. I actually really like the character, so just like not really being able to voice her anymore. To me, she was like this snarky kind of person who just took everything on the chin, so to say. So, yeah, it was fun. It's different than for me. I mean, almost in a way, you joining... Well, this is going to sound a little conceited, but that's fine. <laughs> you joined an established show. <laughs> in the fact that it was in the fifth season, and you already have all these characters. Also, that... I would say with you, even more so than Jennifer, our contact was relatively limited before I invited you to join this show. Yeah, yeah. It was just like every once in a while when we played around together. <laughs> yeah, I was our connection in Minecraft. Mm -hmm. Of all the interactions with the other voice actors, too, I think I only actually got to record with you guys once. Yes. Every other time I'd recorded my audio separate because I couldn't make it. You were also a character that was really kind of declaring war on everybody else, which meant that all of the other infighting between some of the other characters, sometimes substantial, sometimes not, meant that essentially, hey, we can set aside our current differences right now and agree that, quote-unquote, Reese is a tool. <laughs> <laughs> can all be united in one. Yep. Carson, voiced by Scott, 27 episodes, and that included only being in five seasons. What were your first reactions when you learned that season six was going to be the last for one more turn? I guess a, a little bit sad, but uh, also just nice to have a conclusion to a story and just satisfying at the same time. As I said for myself, and really kind of addressed my first reactions for deciding that season six was going to be the last... I will just say, just for completeness sakes, in terms of the other characters, mine, uh, and voicing Hudson, he was the third, he appeared the third most. He was on 41 episodes. I want to acknowledge, particularly given this is the series commentary, Max, voiced by Dark Cloud, was 39 episodes. Dark Cloud also served as editor or assistant editor of the show, 
And he was also a voice performer and one of the writers and a co-editor on the Age of Nations Machinima that I had done more than 10 years ago. He was the last original person to join the project. And I very much appreciate your going over all of my scripts, Dark Cloud, with a fine-tooth calm. And I mean, he would tell me, Dan, on page such and such, so-and-so says this. I don't understand why that would be. He would even also give me suggestions for alternative lines. It was very much appreciated and very much helped the ultimate version of the scripts that you saw. Christopher Blauer, Fackle Writer, voiced Gary, 35 episodes. Heather Pawprint, 42 Motes, 33 episodes as Nora. Caden, voiced by Darkest Onion, was uh, 15 episodes. And Evelyn, which was just introduced in uh, Season 6, voiced by Hannah Codex, in two episodes. Next question. Which season of the series is your favorite and why? Well, I really like season two, and I think my reasons might be weird, but it's because I feel like the cast had kind of figured out their characters by that point, and I just remember having so much fun recording it. Out of all of the seasons, I remember that one. I remember where I was sitting and recording it and laughing so hard coincidentally maybe or not it's the season two has the episode where hudson and bella kiss and they have their little fling and i just remember laughing so hard about that and about anyway the sound effects and whatnot and (laughs) just the whole thing was so funny everybody laughing and having just so much fun that's what i remember of course, because that was the season of the sounds of the leather and the zipper. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are they just kissing or uh, hold on? <laughs> the script just says kiss. I don't know what else happened. But. <laughs> it was added in post-production that I think came up in the season three commentary. It was like, Dan, what was that? Uh, before Dan was married or otherwise involved. <laughs> yes, yes. I was single and my character was recurringly single i guess is the best yeah, I, is the, the word you're I mispronouncing there dan is thirsty <laughs> <laughs> anyway I, it was just really funny and i think we were joking about zippers when we were recording it which might be why that ended up in there yeah i just felt like the cast that had been together in season one had figured out a groove and season two's recording was just delightful I can see that. I, I, I think I know I was asking for feedback, particularly in between seasons. And I had said even at the end of the season one commentary and otherwise asked, what would you like to see happen with your character or not see happen with your character in the next season? And I would like to think there was some little thing, something that happened, something the character got to say that in addition to, you're right, Emily, being being comfortable with everyone's back again. I mean, I don't have an idea where our characters are going and where they have been and who they are. You get an idea in your head of where the character has been, even when I hadn't written certain backstory things, and you start driving that in. It's just like even on the nonfiction polycast podcast, you get into season two and you have some people who are still the regular co-hosts. I know, Mackie, I think you would agree with me that, you know, in season two of that show, that it was a more certainly more comfortable than in season one in terms of, okay, if I say this, am I going to offend or if I ad-lib, is someone going to be really upset that this is happening or am I going to throw somebody off? Yeah, an awkward silence was a less frequent guest. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Mackie, what was your favorite season of One More Turn on Why? Hmm. I'm trying to remember when the whole... Th- I, 
I almost want to say this last one because this is where the poo hit the fan and stuff got serious. And it's like, yeah, these characters have been living in sort of a comedy land or slightly dramatic. But, you know, it's like now it's serious. Now the consequences are starting to hit people because different characters could not go on being like they were without having some fallout or would be unrealistic. You know, the fact that nobody had gotten much blowback too much at that point yet. Are you in particular referring to the relationship between the character you voiced and Gary? Oh, that too. It's just, it's everybody. You know, Avery couldn't keep going around doing Avery things with it about eventually falling on her face and having it backfire. You know, <laughs> those two cannot keep going on in that relationship because that was unhealthy as heck. Yes, the unholy <laughs> alliance between uh, Avery and uh, Bella comes to an end. Yeah, it's like, season. whoa, whoa, whoa. I yeah. can't even figure out how they made that last as long as they did. <laughs> how did somebody not get backstabbed sooner? <laughs> yeah. And actually, what I found interesting about that as an aside in terms of the story is that really began to unravel when Bella called in the mortgage on Max and Nora's townhouse. And it was Bella that had known Max and Nora longer. And Avery kind of saw this as a, I'm sorry, what is it you think you're doing? I know it really didn't have anything necessarily to do with Max and Nora. It's not like Avery was offended that Bella had done this to Max and Nora. It was about Bella just did this without saying anything to me, getting my approval, talking to me about it. I don't know who she thinks she is. I'm the one who invited her into this business, not the other way around. I'm the boss here. <laughs> yeah. So there was that. I, of course, mentioned about what happened with Gary and Riley. And then there was, of course, the follow-up between the characters you and I voiced there, Mackie, between uh, Hudson and Riley, the relationship that just... Yeah, because that finally kind of got to explain why they have this odd relationship. Yeah. There was a lot that started going on. And then, of course, Reese, uh, your character, and Caden, um, telling Reese where to stick it sideways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of things just kind of converging on themselves. And uh, even Caleb and Carson, Carson coming back, but nothing even really being resolved after having been away for all of season five. And that's still not being resolved at least satisfactorily with any kind of happy ending. I mean, there are some characters that had happier endings than not. And certainly I would definitely not make the argument that all the characters were better off at the end of the series than they were at the start. But they certainly went on a journey and a lot of the journeys kind of came together. And I think that's very important in a final season that you give that closure for the audience as well as the performers themselves that you can say, I can chart. This is where they were here and here and there and there. It's, it's interesting. Interesting that, um, I actually wasn't expecting season six to be a favorite, because if, if for no other reason, it was the last one. But it's what we were talking about earlier. The series has gone out in a good way. Mm, fair enough. I've seen this in TV series where it starts out as more comedic, but there are things lurking underneath. And at some point, the stuff comes bubbling up to the surface. And that's what happened sort of starting, I think, in the latter half of season five. But then into season six, really, it's like, OK, all these things have been going on. This has affected X, which has affected Y, which has affected this other thing. And things just have to happen. Everybody from the very first set of characters couldn't keep on doing exactly what they were doing without being forced to change or make a change. Because they were going to lose their minds if they hadn't already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Mm, make a change. Thank you, Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking at the man in the mirror? Is he asking you to change his ways? What? Man, child in the mirror, woman, child in the mirror. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm asking him to change his ways, and the answer is, oh, hell no, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jennifer, your favorite One More Turn season and why? I don't know. I guess I'm I'm a little torn. Thanks, Natalie and Brilia. 
Uh, what? Wow, nineties reference there much. You're welcome. Sorry, continue. It's just oh, it's just one of the many qualities you're going to miss, Jennifer. And you know, and it's it's okay. You can acknowledge it or not if it's too raw right now. It's okay. <laughs> and this is when you thank the Lord that we didn't have cell phones or social media back then. Yes, oh, all of those yeah. mistakes were not recorded for posterity. Yes. I wish we didn't have them now. Oh yeah, no kidding. <laughs> now that we've all aged ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to echo the first answer to this question. I think it was Annalie who was talking about season two. And I think two and three are kind of tied for me. I'm going to be horribly selfish and say that two have the <laughs> edge for me because it was my first season as a character. <laughs> two and three were just really fun. We giggled like idiots. Uh, it was fun to be able to be Avery and just be the human spanner in the works going around throwing a monkey wrench into everything and just having fun doing it. And you purr like nobody's business. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those unexpected things that the recorder is like, wait, did she just? <laughs> I put that in the script. I wasn't certain if you would. And at first take, it was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> Bella and Avery did have some good scenes. I will say that. That was fun. Uh, and I think I, I, picking up on the whole, their unholy alliance, I'm fairly sure the only reason they didn't implode sooner is that they're just kind of like two same ends of two separate magnets that keep pushing each other away so that they don't get too close to each other and crash, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Maybe there's also a sick curiosity to know what the other person is doing and being a little more involved in their business helps with that. Yeah, something like that. The yeah. way women fight are weird. Ish. Um, <laughs> I feel a little bit bad helping to buy into some of those stereotypes. And yet, playing a femme fatale and someone who's just over-the-top kind of horrible... It was nice to be able to tap into my inner mean girl and not have to feel bad about it. <laughs> that reminds me of when Dan asked me to audition. There were three female roles for season one. And I was like, okay, Nora looks nice or whatever. And he says, why don't you try playing someone that's not like yourself? I was like, oh, I don't know if he means the nice one or the mean one. But um, <laughs> but it, it was fun to do Bella. And season one, um, she was the only mean one. But I guess, I mean, before Avery came and then it got a little bit weirder from there. But that just reminded me <laughs> of that. <laughs> it got a little more. Uh, you thought you right were playing the femme fatale and the real one showed up or the other one showed up. Yeah, Avery. Yeah, Jennifer took her character way over the top as far as in a fantastic way. In playing this like really scaly serpentine devil, and uh, <laughs> it made my bad girl look like a wannabe. And <laughs> you know, don't make like, the reference, Dan. <laughs> look at it this way: at the end of the series, which one of the characters is single and which one is not? Which one is happy and which one is not? And I think Bella's ahead on that front by the time the series comes to an end. Do we even find out what happens to Avery at the end? No. She's just sad and alone. 
Just kidding. The, the last, well, she's got Reese now because Bella sold her stake in the company that she was with Avery to Reese because Reese can no longer be part of that family caste system after Hudson saw to that being dismantled. Of course, Hudson's got nothing to do with it, and Caden would have had nothing to do with it. If Spoiler alert, if he had not passed away. And Bella says, I think Reese will compliment Avery well. <laughs> and Caleb's response is, and Avery would not compliment Reese at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so Reese, it seems like it's being set up that Reese is going to be Bella's replacement. And before Bella, Avery worked alone. Avery did not have a partner in that business. So Avery went from, you know, I'm about debt buying, I'm about financial management. Bella was the lawyer, and now she's gotten rid of the lawyer, and now she's teaming up with someone who has a history in the media and publishing. Mm. That's the extent of it. There's nothing really about her personal life. There's even questions about, was Bella able to just sell that on her own? Did Avery even want that? Or is she just suddenly stuck with Reese? Is, did she talk about it? Did, is she happy about it? Heck, is even Reese happy about it? it? Sounds like Reese must be at least not completely upset about it. There's something scary here, Dan. I'm, I'm suddenly imagining Avery is this creepy business lady and suddenly she's got hooked up with someone with media experience and good Lord, I could see her trying to like, I don't know, run for office somewhere. Oh, I have just thought the same thing when you were leading up That's to that. That's a and I was terrifying like, oh. spinoff. <laughs> well, at your least next prime know. minister, ladies and gentlemen. Ayla, <laughs> hey, what was your favorite season of One More Turn and why? I do like when things start to come together. Kind of what um, was being said earlier is just like you could see everybody kind of heading down this one path that it's all just going to hit the fan and just seeing how it resolved. Okay, so season six, yeah, Mackie was talking about that. Okay. Yeah. All right. What about you, Candice? I liked season three a lot because it was the end of the Doe contract and it brought it to a nice conclusion. Ah, I am certain some of the other questions the uh, <clears throat> Doe contract is going to come up again. I know I actually have it in my notes for some things. That was the end of the first arc and it was well done. And speaking of arcs, my favorite season is season four. And part of that, at this springboard's well off of what you just said, Canis, was after the first season, ultimately ended up becoming two more seasons of getting to, okay, the Doe contract conclusion. And now season four was, is this just a one-trick pony? Is this all this was about getting to some kind of resolution, conclusion, getting past, learning to deal with the Doe contract, and then that's good enough? Because season three ended on this really happy note, and I remember the commentary was, is the series ending? There's nothing kind of left up in the air. And so season four was kind of that kickstart, which introduced Caden, and it introduced this Riley figuring out, hey, that I still remember that awkward first meeting when Riley's like, uh, hi again, Caden, who I've been talking to and just know a little bit through remote contact, and uh, hey, Hudson, guess what? Your long-lost brother's here. Instant family, enjoy. <laughs> yeah, Riley, <laughs> did you think that went through, girl? Uh... And ultimately, that then brings in Reese into the picture, and we also start getting some of the interesting alliances of, well, we had this disagreement over the Doe contract, but is the Doe contract not passed now? Because now we have this concern, like, with what's Caden's agenda? And then Reese, it kind of sets up Reese, who's introduced in Season 5, and it was just kind of this realization that now that we have these established characters, 
doesn't have to rely on a plot point. It doesn't have to rely on the Doe contract. And around the Doe contract, I've got to build characters. I can build plot points around characters. Because I felt at that point, okay, I'm comfortable with who these characters are and where they want to go and whether or not they're going to be able to probably accomplish that despite, or in some cases, oh, I wish they wouldn't be able to accomplish this, but they are going to be able to accomplish this. Season one would be my favorite. Uh, why was season one your favorite? Because it was the first one and we were all starting and it was a new adventure and uh, I guess that's kind of fun for me just like, learning about the new story that you had come up with. It was very exciting. Scott, what was your least favorite season of One More Turn? And if you say it was season five, because Carson wasn't in it, I will not blame you, actually. <laughs> the one that Carson left, so that'll be season four then, yeah. So that, that was really kind of just sad to see him just leave like that. Okay. I had talked about season four being my favorite, and part of that being the Doe contract business is over, and now we've got the new set of adventures, and did it kind of seem like, it's nice that all these other characters have these set of adventures, but Carson's not a part of it. I'm just kind of paralleling here, seeing as how my favorite season is your least favorite season. I feel like maybe there's a, a connection and reasoning here that you felt like the other characters were leaving him behind. Yeah, I guess being left behind is, is uh, also, yeah, an aspect. And yeah, I was never really into the lawyer stuff that much. So like, I, I guess that's, I guess what I liked first season or so. They were playing that game and they were competing, which made it seem like they were playing Civilization. So that was kind of fun. I, I enjoyed that aspect and I think that ended at some point around there. Okay, and it, it, this is so interesting because now your favorite season is actually my least favorite season, and it's the first season. And I think about, I can't help it because I, I'm a Trekkie, and I've heard this from some people. It's like, you can't possibly say, particularly the original Star Trek series, or the first season of any show, can't possibly be your least favorite because it's the one that made any subsequent seasons possible. And... I would say, especially with, for example, for those familiar with Star Trek The Next Generation, amazingly, there was a season two after there was a season one. <laughs> well, all we need to say is right It's amazing there was a season three after right? there was a season two, mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> Riker made everything better. I mean, all we have to say is Riker's beard, and we all understand. <laughs> yes. For me, for season one, yes, it set it up, but honestly, it also ties into one of my later answers, which is my least favorite plot development in the series of why which was the Doe contract. Assistant Editor Andrew Fuzzy Fractal 42 helped with this, but there was a lot of legal blah. And this was to be a dramedy, and there really wasn't anything comedic about it at all, except it might have been funny to try to get some voice performers to memorize some of these lines, because there was a lot of exposition. And before there was Caden, when exposition made sense, uh, <laughs> it's just... There'd be, you know, some really interesting episodes and you're trying to establish the character and then there's all this stuff about the Doe contract and I thought it was a good attempt. You know, I, I understand why I did it because it was something I was familiar with being a secondary school teacher and one of my first teachable subjects was law. Half of my undergraduate honors degree is in law and it can make for some interesting academic conversations some interesting reports, some interesting essays, maybe a documentary but for a dramedy, I was too deep in the particulars of that and not paying enough attention to the characters that were there. 
it's kind of one of those, oh, I can look back on season one now and, and appreciate it for all of its highs, all of its lows, all of its lower than lows. So that's that's why, that's why it's my least favorite. And again, it doesn't mean that I hate it. Yeah, no, just it's just a thing for all writers. It doesn't matter whether you're published or you just write stuff for yourself. You look back at the early stuff you wrote and you know you had a reason for doing it, but you look back and you go, oh, why did I do that? I could have done so much better. But season one was the hook. Uh, it, yeah. Season one was not bad. It was just the most different from the others. Oh, I think that probably describes a lot of series trying to find its footing. You view it fondly as... Uh... I view it fondly as the sharp hook that caught in my mouth and decided, I want to follow this. Because it introduced the characters, and even though none of them are good people, they're interesting enough that you wanted to follow them. Kind of the same reason that people end up watching reality shows. Some of those people are not good people, but you're interested in what kind of idiot shenanigans they're going to get themselves into. That You can sit there and laugh at them and watch go, ha ha ha. Not that you wouldn't do silly things yourself, but... Sometimes it happens, you know, the nitpicker's guide. And if I was writing a nitpicker's guide to this show, mm. and it came up in the first the first episode, and of course it has to be the first episode, not even Dark Cloud, who was excellent particularly in getting me on first episodes, Dan, you gotta, this has got to be better, this has got to be better. I can't even fault him for this, because I didn't decide till two and a half seasons in that Riley and Hudson were step-siblings. But in the very first episode, Riley makes a reference to Hudson's mother. Candace, what was your least favorite season of One More Turn and Why? That's a hard one. I want to say season mm. six is kind of my least favorite because the second half seems like it rushes too much. And I know that's a result of life circumstances, but I don't know. I feel like it could have been better. but And of course, it could have been if we put more time and had more time to put into it. I talked about this in the season commentary, too. It's just, it seems like the the ending comes very abruptly, and it feels like there's a lot of unsatisfied things in my mind. But then again, I'm also a writer myself, so I look at things differently. Just kind of sounds like the bassist start a, I don't know, a social media letter writing campaign to get the show uncancelled. <laughs> yeah, I, I just spitball them, you know. Dan, you're the one person who can uncancel yourself, so yeah. <laughs> Get out notepad, start writing. I'm waiting for that Avery spinoff where she becomes a politician and then the whole gang get together to try to like take down her campaign or take down her something. There's got to be something Bella as an attorney could do. Who do you suppose Avery would collude with? <laughs> mm, Satan? Gary. Oh. I'm sorry, <laughs> what was that? Gary. Oh. <laughs> you sure they haven't colluded before? Actually, right before Gary left, Avery did make the reference that it was unfortunate that she and Gary weren't going to be able to, you know, give it a go. So <laughs> maybe Gary decides to take her up on it in the future because there's no future with him and Evelyn. So, ah. and of course, he and Riley are splitsville. So I think Evelyn is the thing that makes me most disappointed because she had so much potential and we just never got to see any of her. That's fair enough. I had this kind of argument with myself. I got looking over the characters I introduced, and I'm like, okay, Dan, first there was Bella, and then you got Avery, and then you got Reese, and now you got Evelyn. Why is it, with the exception of Riley and Nora, why is it that each of the three successive female characters you bring onto the show are trying to out-bitch the earlier ones? Have you got an issue that you need 
resolved in your life? Like, what is this? You need a little therapy to discuss this, that you have some resentment going on here? Uh, Hold up. Well, one could argue that female characters who are less nice are more interesting characters. I think there's a a meme around there saying nice girls don't make history. Well-behaved women rarely make history. Anna, what was your least favorite season of One More Turn and why? I actually think the ending's a bit rushed. Not the ending so much, but after the car crash and all that other, it, it, it didn't really feel like we heard snippets of where everybody went, but I, I don't know. It just didn't fully finish it off for me. I don't know how best to explain. You wanted some characters to make a final appearance rather than just being alluded to? Yeah, like a little bit more closure on it. That don't worry, there'll be a 10-year reunion show. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> Jennifer, your least favorite season of One More Turn and Why? Yeah. I'll agree that the ending of season six does seem to be slightly rushed and a little disjointed, but I understand why. So I think I'm going to have to pick season one myself, just simply because the whole cast wasn't completely there yet, weren't completely gelled, and some of the machinations with the dialogue, all of the legalese... And I'm interested in the law. I work in the legal profession. I have paralegal training. I wanted to go to law school because I watched L.A. Law in the 80s when I was in junior high. Oh, God, I just aged myself. And even I was going, good Lord, Dan, chill. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I I want to sound like a super know all the super things. It's like like if I tried to write something that was more technical type of a thing and I just started throwing out the real life version of techno babble and everybody would try to tell me to chill with the technical stuff too. I want to tell you about the thing because it's neat. Well, yes, and I totally get that. The problem that I had with season one, aside from the fact that the gang wasn't all here yet, was that the only respite that you got from the legal stuff was the gaming type stuff, which is like aggressively not my thing. (laughs) So this is a personal thing for me. This isn't necessarily that it's bad. It's just, uh... (laughs) There really wasn't the hook for you. There wasn't as much. For me, the hook was more personal that... I had recorded the Doctor Who episode of the TD Gaming Podcast with you. I'd listened to a ton of the podcast recordings that you guys did, and I enjoyed your humor, et cetera, et cetera. So I knew there was potential. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mackie, your least favorite season of One More Turn and Why? I have to have a very similar answer there about the, you know, while I said I liked season six, but at the same time, it was that last set of episodes we know why but it was rushed it's almost like you wrote like an extra half season it may be it needed to be pulled out to a full season but you and we maybe necessarily wouldn't have had the time for it and then season one while i was there from the beginning yeah it hadn't gelled together yet it hadn't found what exactly it was i mean it was good enough to get some people interested in listening and get enough to get us to, to say yeah we'd come back and do it again But you you needed all of the people there to start making it more fun and crazy. And yes, the legalese. (laughs) The legal legal techno babble. You're happy that it's there because it got you to more. But you just really want to pat it on its head and just say, bless your heart. (laughs) It's very Southern of you. 
Oh, Annalie, what was your least favorite season of One More Turn and why? I don't know. I've really been thinking really hard, and I don't have like a definitive answer for you. There's nothing that like sticks out as something that I really hated. I didn't like when Carson left because I felt like we lost a member of our family. And I felt like that little piece was missing through the next season. So I guess that would be season four. But I've enjoyed it. Nothing sticks out as being like, oh, I hate that. Well, obviously, I didn't try hard enough then. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> favorite character in the series and why not pedro no thank you anyway doggy i'm pretty sure that was i translated that as pedro um. <laughs> <laughs> translated as a vote for pedro <laughs> favorite character in the series and why i love max's character so much max breaks the fourth wall the way he was acted was just so superb. <laughs> you couldn't help but laugh, you know? And he just lightened up any scene he was in. And so I enjoyed that character a lot. I like Avery, too, for the drama she brought, but for a kind of polar opposite, right? So that was fun. Those are mine. Yeah, Max is kind of like the lone sane man in the room full of crazies. <laughs> Because <laughs> he realizes this is not normal, and all of you need to really think about this. You know, and high fourth wall. Hey, you guys out there, don't you think they're crazy too? <laughs> you know, <trying. laughs> yeah, pretty much. Because he was the funny one. I know there was that one season where everyone's like, "Man, Max and Nora are headed for divorce." Then maybe he wasn't quite so funny, and I know he eventually became more than just the comic relief. I like to think that strengthened the character, but I could definitely see the call for Max. He was actually my runner-up in choosing favorite character of the series. And Mackie, you jumped in on the on the Max bandwagon. There is he your favorite pick too? I think like with you, it's it's it's, it's this kind of runner-up thing. It's I you know, well maybe not controversial. Avery, because she came in and like like screw all this up. You thought you had problems. I'm your problem. I must commend you for not going the Miley Cyrus route and came in like a wrecking <laughs> ball. <laughs> oh, damn. Now I wish I'd said that because that would have been perfect. She did. <laughs> she initially made Bella feel about, you know, one inch high. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys thought you had problems. Oh, let me show you what an actual problem's like. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll jump in now, seeing as how Max was my runner-up. I'm going to give it to Nora. Uh, so Max was really close for the reasons that were already identified, but Nora, part of it was putting up with the Maxisms, but it was also how and it came towards the end of the series. Even I'm kind of like, oh, I wonder if I could really go back to the beginning and really plot how each character developed and where they came to the end. And the fact that I get to the end of the series and Nora's like, by the way, I'm going to school to become a psychologist because I think I've had relevant experience dealing with all of you people that she <laughs> managed to keep her sanity for the most part. Also, and as the series went on, particularly in season six, she has biting one-liners. Like she, at the start of the series, I think she just became more confident in herself and telling people what they needed to hear and when they needed to hear it and how they needed to hear it. But she was also a fiercely loyal character to family and friends. And it's kind of, I'm going to totally bet Miller this. She was really the wind beneath a lot of other characters' wings. She was the boss 
I mean, not only with Max, but she also really directed Caleb. She tried with Riley. She tolerated Hudson, and anybody who can tolerate Hudson in some way, I mean, <laughs> props to you. <laughs> Even his own sibling, his step-sibling is like, ugh. And it's for that reason that she was my favorite, and she was also, at times, funny without intending to be funny, but really comes down to her moral character, that she manages to look after, I'm going to say, like two and a half children, you know, her twins and her husband. Uh, she's managing her mother and, and in a likable way with regards to Max, in a likable way with regards to Max. I'm trying to, not trying to diminish Max in any other way. But if you remove Nora from the series, I'm not certain Max knows what's up and down, if Caleb knows left from right. <laughs> so good on you, girl. Yeah, I'm not sure there's any actual way to be sure. Annalise stole my hands for a word, but no, um, I guess I, I would say really did enjoy Max's comedy and also his dynamics with his wife, and I, and I enjoyed, I guess I would like to combine Nora and Max, well, maybe I shouldn't combine one character, but I really enjoy when a writer will take a married couple and write them. You know, because I think that seems to be a big fear with a lot of writers. They don't know what to do with a married couple, with a couple that continues to have relationship. And then how do they handle things that life throws at them? A lot of writers make them either cutesy, boring, and or they just, you know, want like a shoehorn drama. Whereas they had issues they dealt with. A mother-in-law wanted to tell them how to raise their child or how to do things and it drove both of them crazy. I guess we kind of did get a, co a combination of Max and Nora because they ended up with a son and a daughter and they named him, well, Mora and Nex. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that earlier. I was like, yeah, uh, I think they did combine actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of shows that concentrate where there's always the married couple. There's the man and the woman, and they're either having difficulties, they're not having difficulties, or everything is wonderful all of the time. Doesn't matter. Everything is squeaky clean. How is this realistic? And have a little bit of that sprinkled in and around all these other relationships that people have or they don't have. And writing Max and Nora into an episode, particularly when the focus wasn't on them, but even when it was that they were easier to write because it was easier to find the humor that they could share, and the humor would be believable because, oh, well, yeah, they're married. Yeah. That shorthand, right, that would have just be really awkward for people who weren't in a relationship, people who were no longer in a relationship, people who just entered into a relationship. I think I have kind of a tie, and it's kind of the similar to the reason that I picked the seasons that I did. Half of me is selfish in saying that I would pick Avery because I had so much fun with her. <laughs> but also Bella, because those two played off each other so incredibly well. And it's just fun to watch a chaos agent go through and playing Mary Hell with everything. And sweeping through and leaving God knows what all in her wake. And I think that goes for both of them. They were also very easy to write for in a different way. The Max and Nora was the, oh, this is going to be sweet, maybe a little sickly, sappy, very affectionate. And the Avery and Bella is just going to be who's cracking the whip harder and on what body part. 
Not to make it sound kinky, but maybe I kind of did. <laughs> Not to make it, but I did anyway. And it really was just kind of like, by the way, I'm a bitch. No, no, I, I am the bitch. There can be only one. <laughs> the one-liners back and forth to each other. That they were ready for what the other person had to say. Like, yeah. Constant verbal tennis match. Absolutely. It was important for them to find somebody else to go after. Because if they didn't, then their default position was to just go after each other. And ultimately, it didn't matter who they were going after. They imploded. Eventually. Ayla, who is your favorite character one more turn and why? You know, all the characters have been fun. And all of you guys have been really great to record with when I did have the chance to record. And all the ad-libs and all the extra bit that you add to the show in general. So, it makes it hard. I don't know what Avery's hair looks like. I mean... <laughs> I have an idea in my head. It's maybe somewhat old-fashioned. I keep seeing kind of a yeah, cross between Lauren Bacall and Regina George. <laughs> I've never thought about, for example, Hudson's hair at all, or any character's hair. It's interesting. Or the eye color, or their fashion sense. Um... Shoot, all I remember about any type of clothing mentioned was uh, Gary B. concerned about Pedro wearing a pair of his shorts. It's, 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 uh. And zippers and leather. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm already. There was that. I guess there was the zippers and the, and the leather. That was a Hudson thing. That's, that's true. <laughs> it would be. Well, we'll start with you on this one, Ayla. Your least favorite character of the series and why. Ooh. <sighs> I honestly don't know. Every character had their quirk, and there wasn't really one I, I didn't like. They all had their pros and their cons. So I'm just going to have to abstain. Oh, okay. So that is a vote for Pedro. That's very, very controversial. I'm going <laughs> to tell you that right now. <laughs> My joke answer is Reese because she's a journalist. I guess I would go with Evelyn. She was just a really bad mother. She seemed like the worst person, I guess, of the series, of the show. Because uh, I think she did emotional damage to her daughter and didn't seem to care. And that just that definitely rubbed me the wrong way. I think the arrival of Evelyn helped give some backstory to both Bella as well as Gary. Yes. Perhaps giving a little bit of insight into who they are or who they are not. And this is not to give Evelyn too much credit because, well, Gary was an adult before. Well, presumably, anyway. We don't know how long Gary and Evelyn actually do. But in my mind, Gary and Evelyn met each other as adults. And certainly Bella has been an adult for some time as well. And I know we talked about it in the Season 6 commentary. I mentioned that we don't know exactly why. Evelyn left, and sometimes making the distinguish between not being involved in your ex's life versus also not being involved in your child's life anymore. So there are lots of questions left to be left with regards to Evelyn, but I can certainly see based on her history, it's, wow, you, you've got a lot to prove in terms of you being anything but a unlikable character. Kenneth? So my answer is Gary. Okay. Because he's dating somebody who's clearly less than half his age. And it's less about the fact of the age that he kind of half treats her like a half daughter and half lover, and that's kind of weird. It's the creepiest thing in the show. Yeah. That, that was going to be my exact... That's what I was going to say. Oh, so you were going to say Gary as well, and for the same reason, Annalie. Yeah. I mean, he's generally a tool anyway. Yeah. 
I felt like Bella and Riley were peers, I guess. And I think that it seemed really weird that Gary was is even involved as much as he is involved is weird and in a lot of aspects that you don't usually see parents and children as interacting in each other's social circles that often in real life. I don't know, at least not in my world. And <laughs> so it's just, a, it always felt like a weird thing. And then he was like, I'm going to date Riley. I'm going to pretend I'm just like everyone else here. Like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> and I think Gary's just not super likable in a lot of ways. I feel like he's kind of manipulative in weird ways, not in like the enjoyable ways like Avery is. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense at all, but. I think a lot of the negativity towards Gary started even before he started dating Riley. I mean, yes, it was Riley that essentially said, Gary, how come you haven't asked me out yet? But Gary could have said no, and Gary stuck around too. Like, what the heck's going on there? Mm -hmm. But before that, there was, if you go really back to the first few seasons, there was the whole thing about when Gary and Bella were practicing law together in the law firm Mm -hmm. and... Both of them were recording, had those hidden recording devices in each other. (laughs) Yeah. And then when he realized, I'm listening to my daughter having relations with Hudson, he kept those recordings and then sent part of it to Hudson. That was... (laughs) It's like, dude, what is your damage? Yeah, that's messed (sighs) up. As a funny aside here, I currently work for a law firm. My husband works for this law firm. The head partner is my husband's stepmother. So it's a weird thing. And yeah, we all work together. But even in that situation, we don't run in these circles like those two do. Boundaries. They got, Gary has boundary issues. <laughs> uh, that's yes, nice. that's a good synopsis. Yeah. Boundaries? What are those? <laughs> Something not in Gary's lexicon, clearly. Well, Avery doesn't have any either, so... <laughs> She's more charming about it. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Gary, is the stuff he does is not it's as enjoyable as it is when Avery does it. Actually, earlier, just in this commentary, Annalie, didn't you describe Avery as snake-like? So Gary's a snake, and then Avery's what? Um, a snake with lipstick and eyeliner? I don't know. Like, it's just... Uh, ooh. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Maybe it's not maybe it's not maybe it's not so bad if there's makeup on it, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not give Gary any ideas. That's getting uncomfortably close to the lipstick on a pig metaphor. <laughs> and it's no reflection really? on the guy who was playing Gary. We all love Blower, but the character oh, yeah. himself is just like Ugh. Oh, I think if Blower were here, he would be agreeing with us. And he has said <laughs> in the past that he'd love in previous commentaries, he likes playing this guy because he's awful. He's an awful person. <laughs> It's just fun to be that kind of person. So. <laughs> All right. So, Jennifer, are you picking Gary, too? Um, No, oddly enough, because he's too easy. That's the expected choice. Oh. I've always had a little bit more, I don't know if animosity is the word for it, just kind of generalized, low-level bleh. For Hudson, Gary's easy because he's never been good. He's never going to be good. He's going to die awful. It is what it is. But Hudson could be better, and he's not. And it's disappointing. (laughs) Well, Jennifer, let's clarify this, though. Are you sure it's not because of the actor? 
I feel like it needs to be out on the record. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. The other character. If I was going to be mean like that about the writer, I would have picked Gary because (laughs) Dan seems to be really good at writing creepy assholes. I'm going to put that on a business card. I'm really good at writing creepy <laughs> assholes. <laughs> hmm. You're ex- expecting Gary to be awful, but Hudson has the capacity to be better and chooses not to be. Yeah, I think that's kind of my take on Hudson. And I know he seems to try and kind of clean himself up a little bit towards the end of the series, but he's prickly and combative and just (sighs) unpleasant in a way that isn't necessary. I can see that. I think that Hudson is the most improved character, and by most improved character, I don't mean the best character. I mean, we compare Hudson from season one to season six, and Jennifer, you said it yourself towards the end of the series, he tries to get better, but I mean, that could be a, well, Hudson was at about a 10%, and now he's a 30%, so what is that really saying, number one? (laughs) But I think more significantly, it's a Canadian stereotype, or it's at least a stereotype that I perceive from Canadians, that... Sometimes we're nicer to strangers than we are family. Maybe it's not specifically Canadian, but I've heard other Canadians say this about Canadians. So maybe it's something there where it's just our own collective weirdness. And the sense of you're working to improve some of your newer relationships. You do a better job interacting with Caleb. I mean, shoot, by the end of the series, Hudson and Caleb are working together. At one point, Caleb is working for Hudson, just like Caleb was working for Carson. But Carson on One More Turn Solutions. And now that Hudson is there, ultimately Riley sells her stake in One More Turn Solutions to Caleb, and Caleb is going to be an equal in the business. That's a lot better than the the initial treatment and the man-child and even the Shakespeare reference to Carson. But his relationship with Riley, the longest-standing relationship that he has in his life, he leaves it the crap hole that it is. And I'm, I'm not, you know, absolving Riley of responsibility either, but, you know, you are the older brother. You were her legal guardian for a while. And I talked a little bit of this a bit more about in the season six commentary too. So for me, as much improvement as it is, he's very selective. And I don't think he chooses well enough anyway, the relationships that he tries to improve. And that is disappointing. I don't know if that's where you were going with it, Jennifer. I hadn't even thought of it in that way until you cited him as your least favorite character. I don't know. He just, he seems to be so prickly and combative with pretty much everybody around him, unless he wants something. Oh, yes. Very good at being in it for himself. And while he's looking for something from you, whether that's his whole involvement in the Doe contract towards the end of the series where he gets uh, Caden to agree to help with the video for Riley's birthday and then says, okay, so let me know what the idea you come up with. He's like, but the the video was your idea. Yeah. That's Hudson. It's like, okay, I've improved my position. I don't care what the fallout is. Am I in a better position than where I was before? You liked me more yesterday, but I got more from you today. So I guess that in the end, it doesn't matter. I'm ahead. I'm keeping score. Hudson keeps score. Yeah, I can absolutely agree with that. Every once in a while, it's just kind of like, the points don't matter, Hudson. (laughs) The points don't matter. I knew there had to be a Who's Line reference in there somewhere. That was a good reference, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 
I don't know whether to be surprised or slightly disappointed that Dan didn't make us at some point all pick our alignment for our characters uh, <laughs> in character, even. That needs to be left for fan fiction. Oh, Lord. <laughs> My least favorite character in the series is Riley. Oh, hey, I was going to ask if it was weird to be disappointed in your own character, even though you enjoy playing her. <laughs> I will say before I go out, the case for Riley, as it were, I enjoy the mess that is Hudson. I do enjoy, like a lot of voice performers, voicing somebody that's not like them. It's an opportunity to get into the psyche of someone that's not you, but at the same time, to lend your voice to that. And in a way, you think, if this was actually me, how would I sound? Or you read a line and you say it out loud because you're recording the line, and it's like, oh... That's what that would sound like, or, oh, this is how I could go about doing that if I was that kind of person. And that exploration is kind of like the path not traveled. It's better that Hudson is still messing up, because although we don't know the time span, people do not change overnight. Yeah, he's not going to totally get rid of his keeping score type of thing. He might eventually do that less and less till he stops doing it, but right away, he's not. Riley. I mean, she was fun to write, because there's nothing like watching a train wreck in slow motion. <laughs> Well, and it's true. It's like, she's the kind of person who has to learn things the hard way, but it's like, how many times does she have to slam her head into a brick wall before it finally gets through an entire series, apparently? Exactly. It's exactly that. It's it's like, Hudson is the most improved, and Riley is, to me, she is the character that is most like in season six, like she was in season one, and it's infuriating. It's not that, oh, in season one, you've got it together, girl. Please have it together by the end of the series. No, it's have you learned absolutely nothing from the varying degrees of crap? So you've had lots of models about what to do and how to do it. Just like you've also seen people, hmm, this is not how to do something and not how to do it. But she keeps making the same mistakes over and over. And the other thing that makes her the least favorite is she is completely unsympathetic because Whoa, it's me. Everybody is responsible except me. Strikes me as the type of person who would do the vague posting about, well, it's nice to know what kind of people you can't count on, kind of bull. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And think she's totally justified. She's totally the victim in everything. It's like, no, you're the instigator sometimes, you silly git. If you're looking for who to be disappointed in, look in the mirror. (laughs) Honestly. Speaking of man in the mirror, Uh woman, child in the mirror. At least other child changed his ways. Yes, his humor is still man-child, but the maturity in terms of his relationships with people has improved. And quite honestly, I think Caleb dodged a bullet. That's actually the nicest thing Riley did for anybody in the entire series, was telling Caleb no. Saved him a lifetime of problems there, girl. Saved him from himself before he saw the light. Riley, the way her character ends in the series where she's gone... To me, I think when Carson left the series, it was in his best interests. He just said, you know, I, I've, I've got to get away from this. I can't deal with this. Carson recognized that all of these people have problems, but I also have problems too, and no one is really helping me with my issues. I've got to look after myself. I think Riley is just, oh, no one's here helping me. I am the victim. You have all hurt me, and now I'm going to go somewhere else where you can't hurt me anymore. And the problem is you're just going to keep hurting because no one is better at hurting Riley than Riley. Yeah, I could totally yeah. see that. Also, as an aside, you pissed off Nora. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what kind of person you have to be to piss off Nora? You have to be just like the worst. <sighs> 
Okay, Mackie, your least favorite character. We, weren't we just doing this? Oh, oh, you were, oh, it was the same thing? Oh, you were agreeing yeah. with the rally. Oh, yeah. okay, all that's right, why I was, okay. That's what I said at the beginning. Is it odd to be disappointed that much in your own character, even though, she, uh, like you said, she was fun to write, she was fun to act as, but reading through the script, how many times I wanted to do the face palm, face palm, face palm, did you learn nothing? Yeah. It's my own character is the one I dislike the most. It's strange as that sounds. <laughs> Disappointed more than hate, though. Yes, yes, I think. There are definitely characters to hate and dislike, and hers, it's... Um, you waste so much opportunity to improve and to help others and realize that there is a world beyond the end of her nose. She just, yeah, she just does not get it. I don't know if anyone has ever seen the television series The Thin Blue Line with Rowan Atkinson from the mid-90s. But Rowan Atkins' character refers to one of his subordinates, uh, his um, police constable. He says, this character would not get it if it came in a bag marked it. And that is Riley. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think one of my favorite descriptions along those lines was an early internet insult about clues. You wouldn't get a clue if you were covered in clue musk set in a field of mating clues at the height of clue mating season. I remember that one. I haven't heard it forever, but yep. If clues were shoes, she'd be barefoot. She has no idea. <laughs> yeah, that one too. This is you. This is a clue. Get a clue. The pilot, but then again... Characters don't know what they're saying in the pilot anyway. It's it's kind of it's kind of like a mulligan. People not familiar, it's a golfing term. You get to take your shot over. That's, that's exactly what that was. If no less a screenwriting legend than George Lucas can pull the same kind of boneheaded mistake, then you know you're in good company. Thank you. I will put that on my business card. Run it right underneath about being able to write complete assholes or whatever it was. <laughs> same level of boneheadedness. As George Lucas. Yeah, I could hear the air quotes around legendary screenwriter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your favorite plot development in the series and why? My favorite plot development is the fact that we finally got reveal of Evelyn, and I'm sad that it didn't get more play than it could have. Because she sounded like a really interesting character we just didn't get a chance to play with. I talked about this in the season six commentary, but yes, she was going to be quite the foil for a number of people in season seven. I was setting that up, and I'm glad that came through in the all of two episodes that she appeared in. But of course, it's not just, hey, it's a new character. It's, oh my gosh, it's, as Hudson puts it, wait, is it the Evelyn? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with the fact you finally clarify whether they were actually... <laughs> You know, lovers are brother and sister. Between Hudson and Riley. <laughs> yeah, because that was kind of like, I what's going on here? Even I, as the voice actor, is like, uh, how am I supposed to play this? Do I play this as the good friends who maybe could have been and didn't? Do you play that as that they are? Do you play brother and sister makes so much more sense for the way they talk back and forth. Yeah, I, I think, uh, as I said in earlier commentary, and even earlier in this commentary, I didn't know when writing the first season, exactly what their relationship was going to be. I just knew I wanted guessing, and I did a really good job because I even confused myself. So when I finally I finally decided what that was going to be, I thought, I wonder how many people are going to be surprised by this. And there was a, a lot of dot, 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 
<laughs> reactions to that Wait, what? revelation. And I, I couldn't help but incorporate that into the script. Next favorite plot development, I'll jump in with this. And there really isn't a lot to say about this, because I think it's already been covered even on this commentary and earlier commentaries. My favorite plot development is moving past Doe, which is why I love season four so much that I was able to, after season one, I didn't want to... Uh, let's see, what show am I going to reference? I, I'm thinking of one I obviously need to date myself, so it clearly needs to be from the 20th century. Fine, I'm not going to Judy Winslow this. No. Oh, yes, I went there. Dated yourself. I know. So for people that listening, Judy Winslow, Family Matters, all of a sudden, the daughter does not exist on the show anymore. Nobody makes a reference to it anymore. I wasn't just going to have Doe Contract no longer be referenced in Season 2, even though I really, really wanted to. I just wanted to, you know, I gave myself a mulligan for the pilot. Can I give myself a mulligan for a whole season? <laughs> At least you wrapped that up to where it was understandable. Like, in the other example, they could have sent the daughter to college. And it makes sense if you didn't hear from her much. But no, she just went upstairs one day and never came back down. Well, they did that on Happy Days, too. Richie had an older brother, and he went yeah. to the bathroom, and we never saw him again for, like, the whole rest of the series. Well, and yeah, in his case, clearly he needed to eat more fiber. I mean... Because <laughs> <laughs> they thought it was going to be the Cunningham Brothers show, and then the Fonz was more popular. It's like, well... When we move past the Doe contract... After season three, it's like, okay, I managed in season two and season three, as you kind of alluded to, Mackie, to make it a little bit more understandable and also a little bit more to the audience, why do I care? <laughs> so that was my favorite plot development. And still, still, and I talked about this in the season six commentary briefly, but it definitely needs to be mentioned as part of the series commentary. Also, never ever explaining why it was called Doe is one of my favorite things about Doe. There were so many things that were answered. All the, the important things were answered. But the very simple thing is why it was called Doe. Everyone can have their own interpretation. My interpretation, so this is not canon. Even though I'm the series creator, this is not canon. My interpretation is Doe is it was named after one of the people that was involved in the negotiations at some point. We don't know who Doe was, where he was, where she was. That's that's the only reason it was called Doe. But yeah, moving past that contract. Best thing I did. Mm. And I admit that wasn't just me deciding to move past Doe. That was a lot of the cast and crew telling me gently, this has been great, but you don't have 10 seasons of this Doe thing here, right? Like, this is this is going somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And yes, it's going out the door. That's, that's <laughs> It's trash slash recycle collection day. Bye-bye. <laughs> you mean you didn't want us to start saying our lines like the don't contract? <laughs> I really didn't need 20th Century Fox. <laughs> you need more lawyers involved in this is oh. what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Favorite plot development, Ayla. Well, I don't know if I liked it or not. It was kind of more on the fence of the everybody being related in the end. Because I did miss a whole little chunk in the middle. So for me, I was like, wait, what <laughs> kind of reaction? Are you getting at the only reason all of these characters seem to be connected is because they're on a show together and they don't even realize it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? Like, just... Only Max knew. Only Max knew. Because he's breaking the fourth wall all the time. <laughs> Scott, what was your favorite plot development? I think I liked Max and Nora having a baby and their family expanding and growing because you took on some issues with them. And you, again, you made it their future in doubt with your cast and audience. So you created a good amount of trauma there. Who has not yet said their favorite? 
I'll go. Okay, Jennifer. I think it was the sudden family, brother, stepsister, oh my god. It, w- it was so soap opera-ish. It was, <laughs> it was ridiculous and hilarious and yeah. As you're describing that, I I, I don't know. It's just um, the most soap opera-y. Maybe this just tells A, when I last watched a soap opera, which was in the 90s and even then, that was not that much. And B, what I kind of latch on to. But it's the whole... I referenced it already when Riley brings Hudson and Caden together and say, Hey, guess what? You're related. What the... What? What? How did you figure this out? Why did you figure this out? Has this just been shoehorned in here? What's, what's going on? But geeks dealing with non-geeky problems. It's uh, the soap opera thing is... I just kind of feel like it's definitely not a geeky thing. Not a strictly speaking geeky thing. Or not a thing that we would associate with geeks having to deal with such things. Not specifically relationship drama. A lot of focus on the geeks is the geekdom itself and where they place themselves on the spectrum. And of course, there's lots of different types of geeks, as we know. And this one focuses on gaming geeks, but they're not the only kind. But then it's like, by the way, they're also people that outside of geekdom, and maybe sometimes even in spite of geekdom, and things that are part of their lives that have absolutely nothing to do with it. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't geeks one-dimensional people? No, just mm. like anybody, they are not. Yep. I know we don't like to. We don't like to admit it. Sometimes it's like, wait, we do things other than you know our geeky things. Whoa, whoa, that's that. Whew, that can't be right. Emily, you know this is gonna sound so I don't know <laughs> self-interested, but I do have a special interest in Bella's life. But I think my very favorite plot development was that Bella got her redemption in the end. I think there was just something so nice about that and unexpected. It was totally unexpected. I read the script and I thought, wait a minute. And I went back and read it again because I had to like see this. And I'm like, oh, look at her trying to be good and look at her getting a reward for that. And I don't know. I just really love a good redemption story. And for her, that kind of worked out a little bit. I know, at the very end of the show, but I liked it. You're talking about the redemption with getting together with Carson again? Yeah, but she also, she's worrying about other people besides herself. She's concerned about other things rather than just her own weird schemes. And then, yeah, she gets together with Carson, which is, I don't, maybe foreshadowed, but honestly was never a given, I don't think. I do want to say that I talked about it in the Series 6 commentary, but I'll just say here that that was part of the complete rewrite of the last episode. But that was not in the initial draft. That was never my intention for there to be a bit of a happy ever ending for Bella, let alone Carson. But I wanted it to be that Bella realized that she had, and it came up before, that she had chosen the wrong brother. And that the ending of the relationship was very much Bella's choice. And that Carson had been in no other relationship since then. It did happen earlier in the series that Bella flew out west to try to win Carson back and he wouldn't even see her and she came back and she went back to Hudson and there was that episode that it was one of those episodes that it was just you and I and Ali and Hudson mm-hmm. actually said so rather than trying to fix that which you say is important to you you came here instead because why and I remember the episode concluded with Hudson saying I'll be certain to tell nobody you drop by yeah in my mind, never put it into the show. So again, not canon. And I know the more I emphasize not canon, some people are going to think it is, but I'm telling you it's not. In my mind, 
that's the nicest thing you've done for me, Hudson, is to make me realize my coming back here was a mistake. And we don't know exactly what she said or, or what she said or what she did differently. Because I know some people could say, wait a minute, what do you mean she went out west? Carson already said no, didn't even get her a chance to speak. What did she do differently? In my mind, it was just the fact that she came back yet again. And we don't know exactly how much time has passed. We don't know exactly when Bella went and did that. But when we come back, it's they're engaged. And I did leave it ambiguous about whether or not they actually did get married, let alone how long did they get married, the happily ever after. Sometimes persistence pays off. Absolutely. Bella was initially with Hudson, and then it was Carson, and then to Caleb, and then to Hudson, and then not with Hudson, then back to Hudson. And I also give Carson some credit, too, because there was also the whole Bella sleeping with Pedro, which to me was an even (laughs) lower moment than being with Hudson four times. I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about the times that they were there, four distinct moments in their lives when they were together. And then she goes and sleeps with Pedro. To me, that was the low point. Like, Bella has lost it completely. And then when she foreclosed on Max and Norris, I decided I'm sending her back to where she was at the end of the season one, where she is an awful person. Like, she did something worse than even Avery would have done, even though Avery had a chance to reverse the decision, and she didn't. But yeah, there is that redemption for Bella, and I wanted there to be enough goodness in her enough potential that someone else could see that in the case of Carson. And I think their strengths and weaknesses will work well together, that the opposites attract, and I think that they will be better versions of themselves as a result. So also in my head, again, not canon, they do make it work. Whatever that looks like, I'm not saying any relationship that's depicted in the show is necessarily how a relationship should be between two people. I definitely like thinking about a Max and Nora relationship more than maybe a Carson and a Bella relationship, but still. They found that one for each other, and that was nice. Yeah. Unspoken thing, it's not canon. It's not canon. Mackie, you even made reference to who's going to be the next Prime Minister in Avery, but yes, this show was set in Canada. There were subtle, not-so-subtle hints throughout the series, but no one actually said it, and that was so darn purposeful. Is that sort of like Vancouver standing in for every American large city? Yes, in television and film. Yeah. Yeah. Least favorite plot development? I'll I'll just start just to get it going. The extent of the Doe contract. So again, why season one was my least favorite. And fortunately, I can say it didn't help the series, the extent of Doe, but it certainly didn't kill the series. We ended up with five more seasons after season one. And introducing new characters and expanding on those characters, having more fun in subsequent seasons. But the extent of Doe, because it was trying to push a story as plot too much, and not enough about character. If you want to have a story more about plot rather than character, then strictly speaking, I think a documentary is a better style for that. (laughs) Uh, Not necessarily the best style of documentary, but documentary is a better style for This is about the plot, not about so much about the characters, not the place in a dramedy. And that was honestly just learning because I had not written a dramedy before. I made reference to Age of Nations. You can go to ageofnations.net and see what I'm talking about. All I will say about that, other than its name and the title, uh, is that it was not a dramedy. So this was a very different approach to writing a show. And I do thank the Doe contract for showing me more about what not to do (laughs) as a writer as compared to what to do. But, well, 
as I said, it helped me learn. And if I hadn't learned, then we wouldn't have the rest of the series either. But it, it, it still is my least favorite. It still makes me do the Picard facepalm. Oh. But is it a double facepalm? I do not put it to the extent of double facepalm. No. No, I'm not going <laughs> to give it double facepalm. What in the series would I give double facepalm to? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the leather and the zipper sound effect? I don't know. But not, not, not the... T- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I would change it. I would give it the double face palm. But the extent of no, no, I'll just give it a single oh, face palm. I want to change my favorite plot development now, Dan. <laughs> oh, I mean, you want to change your answer? Kidding, <laughs> <laughs> mostly. So, Jennifer, what was your least favorite plot development in the series? I mean, I feel like I'm going to sound like a broken record here because you pretty much stole my answer anything that had to do with (laughs) the stupid legal stuff and i get that there was a lot of it that was actually moving plot forward and that was cool but the really through the first season and the first part of the second it's like okay dan where are you going with this (laughs) so yeah yeah I was not sorry to see it go. Scott, you're going to jump right in on that with the with the least favorite? Yes, I am. Uh, that, that, I think I'll make that my least favorite is the Doe contract because it just felt like they were just taking this so seriously and it kind of put a real wet blanket on the comedy aspect of it. You know, it just felt kind of awkward, you know, because it's life or death thing sometimes and it just really kind of drowned out the comedy to me like it just it didn't sync well it didn't i'm going to use the least favorite word you like it didn't synergize with the comedy <sighs> aspect of the uh, story it just to me it felt very awkward like there was two different shows going on or something and they just didn't really go together very well least favorite word yes least favorite term would be paradigm shift but but synergy is <laughs> a close runner up there yeah very close runner up there. So, yeah, the Doe contract, a wet blanket on the comedy. I like that. And also, if you're going to set aside the comedy in a dramedy, then you're looking for the drama and you're like, why is there drama with Doe? Because you said people are taking it so seriously. But Right. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So it's like you've stuffed out the comedy and you never let the drama rise either. So what are we doing? Yeah, it's like it's like I couldn't really relate to what this Doe contract was a threat to exactly because it's like you have Carson and he just leaves, and it's like so the contract was never really that much of a threat if you could just you know leave you know like bye I'm gonna leave my brother I'm gonna leave everybody I know I'm I'm just gone it just it never really gelled for me. Max should have broken the fourth wall towards the end of season one and been and like, you know what the real threat of the Doe contract is? That's not getting renewed. That's what I think. Max. <laughs> <laughs> the audience falling asleep. we got to use the proper terminology. It wasn't canceled. It was concluded. See? <laughs> There's a difference. It's a purposeful cancellation. I mean a purposeful, purposeful ending. Yes, it ended. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty then. <laughs> it's sort of like a contract ending. It's met his contractual obligations. <laughs> Honestly, I think we all seem to agree that the Doe contract going on and on, that seems to be everybody's least favorite thing, which is why we all told you change it. Which I did, and it's just why we're recording a serious yeah. commentary at this point, because... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, see? Question answered. Exactly.
did the series meet, exceed, or fall short of your expectations, and why? Scott? Um, I guess it did, because I, I feel I got a conclusion. I feel like it concluded in a satisfactory way. Certainly, it would have been fun to get more. I mean, it usually always is. I think the best lines I've ever heard in, in reference to stories concluding is what Jerry Seinfeld said is, uh, always leave them wanting more. So always leave that potential that there could be more or that the characters are going off and doing other things and that they don't just like go poof into oblivion, but they have stuff to do. The story, though, that you're watching is included, though, and it's not two major of uh, loose ends left dangling. So I guess, yeah, in a lot of ways, it did meet. Mackie. I'd say that, yeah, it did, because the story went along, the people developed or didn't develop, in the case of one character. But you felt like you were going through these people uh, really big time in these people's lives. And you got to the end and the conclusion, and now they're going off in different directions. And it was like appropriate end to things for most of the people, you know? People changed over the series time. They didn't feel like static characters, well, except for one. <laughs> <laughs> As we previously discussed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Learns nothing. <laughs> but, yeah. And, and we've all had fun recording it as well. You know, there's a behind-the-scenes thing that was not necessarily expected initially, but was a great thing to have. I think it also gives us an appreciation for television shows and movies and maybe even radio shows in, in the past, even plays, that there can be, or at least you hope there is, some kind of conversation that's happening between the takes of the episodes, that people have a little sense of a community, if not family, and that people, if not friends, then they're certainly friendly, because it comes through in, in the performance and whether or not it's an, as enjoyable to the audience as it could be. Because there's reading your lines, and then I think there's like there's feeling the lines that, you know, you're not just reading it off of the page. And it's a nice thing, I think, that we have as voice performers for this, is we don't have to memorize our lines. We could. I know I certainly never did, and I wrote the dang thing. But that we can read the lines, but I have a good idea of what's being said, and as I'm reading it, I'm comfortable with it. I'm thinking about, gee, do I know what all the words are? Am I going to say all the words? But it's how am I going to say the words? And I just heard the previous line that was written and how that person said that. And I want to play off of that to make it sound more authentic, to have it jump out at the page. And I think that's really important. And I think this commentary just goes to show that six years later, multiple people coming on to the show after the fact, and the fact that we don't talk on a regular basis as a group as well, that we established this on the show, and it's it's something that we really appreciated, and I I think I can say for all of us, it's kind of getting out of, I think we're going to miss it. It's it's going to be missed, and it's a good thing to miss something like that, because it's something that we valued, and it was important. Mm-hmm. I agree, Dan. Yeah. And I think also we appreciated it. It's not like we got to the end of the series and went, oh man, wasn't that fun? I didn't realize we were having fun. Oh, I didn't value that when it was happening. I don't feel that regret, either, that we knew that at the end of each season, for whatever reason, it could be the last one. And we were happy when we were able to come back again. And as other people have already said on this commentary, that the show got a conclusion. So I would say then for myself that it's kind of weird. I initially said I was going to say exceeded expectations. And I said that for some of the seasons, but I think for the series, now the series met my expectations because we were able to take a story and elevate it from what I put on the page. You know, I could have told this story in book format. 
as an example, and I thought about it. I thought I really enjoy being able to share this with other people and to get people's thoughts and to hear their thoughts and to be able to hear the characters come to life in the voices of other people and in recording other commentaries and the joking around surrounding it, that it was more than just, okay, Dan wants me to read the lines and then away I go. It was something bigger than itself. I was kind of hoping that that's what it would be and that's what it ended up being. So if it seems like it's I'm underwhelming my answer by saying that it met expectations, like, oh, I'm glad it lived up to your expectations. Well, yeah, I am glad it lived up to my expectations because my expectations were high. Because if we're going to do this and we're not going to get paid in money, we're not going to get paid in pain and stick with this. You know, we got to get paid in laughs. And I <laughs> I think we had a lot of deposits in the bank, as it were, when it come to getting paid in laughs. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. Aww. Yes. <laughs> Group hug. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we, we heart you too, Dan. Aww. <laughs> and now Jennifer gets to answer that question after my really heartfelt comment. Jennifer's saying, oh, <laughs> man, no one wants to go after that. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I have a hard time saying whether it met or exceeded my expectations simply because I guess I didn't really, or I tried not to, go in with too much in the way of expectations. Honestly, my first big expectation was just hoping that it wouldn't go all pear-shaped. And, you know, I figured, well, dude, I'm dealing with a Canadian. How bad can it be? (laughs) (laughs) Well. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I kid, but I'm not kind of, you know? I mean, I didn't get any kind of sense that things were going to be, like, mental on the the behind-the-scenes aspect. So in in that way, it's absolutely exceeded any expectation that I had intrinsically, plot-wise, story-wise, I don't know that I can say one way or another because I didn't really have any expectations. But it was a fun ride while it lasted, and I'll be sorry to see it go. So I'm going to ask the next question to you then, Jennifer, because I think you're talking about your expectations and or lack thereof. Uh-huh. I think a number of people shared that, you know, behind the scenes, the cast and the crew. What about from the audience's perspective? And I mean, I hope that we all do count ourselves as part of the show audience. I kind of feel like as the editor of the show, I'm also the audience by force because I put the episodes together and I make myself listen. But uh-huh. I try to think that I would want to listen to this show if I was someone else looking for a dramedy to listen to. So what do you hope the audience's takeaways are from One More Turn? Oh, wow. Takeaways. I guess I hope they enjoyed it. I hope that it made them happy. I hope that, you know, on a personal level... I kind of hope that there's somebody out there who loves to hate Avery because there's (laughs) no, there's something enjoyable in having a character who's just so awful, but you enjoy hating them. (laughs) I get that. You want them to have that emotional investment. Yeah, exactly. In the story and in particular, the character that you want to know what happens to them because either 
gosh, I hope they find happiness, or gosh, I hope they burn at the stake. Yes. One way or another, you've got to know. You've got to know what happens next. What's the next chapter? Yeah, exactly. I'll springboard off of that, because that's also on my list. Related to that would be, well, indeed, that the show is relatable. I think I might have talked about this in some past commentaries, but essentially to the effect that I know somebody like a Riley, or a Hudson, an Avery, a Carson, a whomever, and in addition to that, it makes them think, or maybe rethink, conclusions that they had come to about those people say, oh, I'm going to listen to the show. I never thought of it that way. Or what if that person had done this? Or what if I had done this? Or what if I do this instead? Or I, you know, I don't want to be this person anymore. Or I'm glad I'm not this person for this reason. And as much as I would have loved for the audience to be more interactive with us than they were, we didn't get a lot of feedback for the show. But at the same time, I know there is an audience out there when I was looking at download stats. People are out there and they are listening to it and that they also get the sense on top of those other things that we enjoyed what we were doing and I hope it inspires them. I'm going to go that far that the audience takeaway is that it inspires them. I don't mean that they go to make their own Dramedy podcast. I mean they find something that gives them the joy and the pleasure and something that allows them to have a creative outlet and say that this is what I want to contribute, this is what I want to share, and (laughs) well, if these people behind this one more turn thing can do it, then I can certainly do it. What? Hang on. (laughs) What about you, Scott? I hope that they also enjoyed it. I like to go, yeah, Jennifer's saying that she went into this not having uh, too much preconceived expectations, and I would say that that would go doubly for what to expect other people's takeaway, other than enjoying it. So I would say I hope they enjoyed it and they take something away in their own perspective, positive or or negative or whatever, and that they enjoyed the uh, story that we had to offer. I think everybody's hit on all the things and maybe you can also take away from the characters changing and not changing. Maybe if you see that in people you know or even in yourself and you can maybe take a hint, take a clue, get one. Look, it's a clue. It's over here. It's dancing. I mentioned we didn't get a lot of input from the audience, but I do want to give a shout out in case this person happens to be listening. The Reddit user Fishbonius uh, was in response to episode 604. Episode 604 was released in March of 2019. To my surprise, his first response to this episode was, where has this been hiding? And I got to admit, I know some people are going to think, wow, Dan, you need some perspective but my first reaction was like i actually cried a little like i was just i was i was choked up a little bit i was like oh wow and then part of my brain just because it likes to i think we all have this different sides of our personality tried to be an ass it's like he might mean that as where has this been hiding and please put it back there but i don't think i'm what he meant so i responded and i said thank you for asking such a kind question on behalf of the show's cast and crew we hope you enjoy the listen hopefully from the beginning it has evolved over the years, and, and I recommend our season promos to test samples of its evolution, because I thought, this, is this person just jumping into episode 604? Because even though I produced this, and we recorded it as an episode, it is not an episodic show, in the sense of, right, that there's a reset button every time, and you can jump in wherever you want. There's an arc here. And he responded with double thumbs up. And then about a month later, I said I wanted to see if you had the opportunity to check out the One More Turn Dramedy, because it sounded like that was this first episode. 
And his response was, so far, so good. The writing is good and very funny at times. Though as far as content and story, it's not really my kind of thing. That being said, one more turn is well done. Good acting, well recorded, well mixed. I like the music and sound design, and that's a big compliment coming from me. The more I listen to it, the funnier it gets. Well done. Nice. Oh, now we're all going to sit here in awe. And it's like, whew. And as I'm reading this here, and I'm including this on the series commentary, it's um, it's not that I'm thinking, man, if we had more comments like that, then the show would continue. No, no, it's not like that. I would like to think anyway that this person finally did what I think all of us had hoped we would have gotten from the audience, which was to tell us that they liked it. But when I also looked at the download statistics and I thought, no one's complaining, I'm thinking, you know, which is the internet specialty. Ah, eh, you know, okay, maybe we're, we're doing something right. No one's not necessarily going to take time out of the day to tell us what we're doing right, but they would tell us if we were doing something wrong. And he did say I, I, he would master it a bit louder in, in terms of the audio volume and whatnot. I had a ex- bit of an extensive follow-up question to him, um, where I just said, I hope as you continue to listen that you progress from one season to the next and that you like what you hear that will hear from you recurringly in the future. That hasn't happened at this point. But his follow-up to that was, yep. It's good stuff. My wife likes it, too. Aww. So I thought, yes, two listeners. All right, we doubled our audience. Wait a minute. That's, <laughs> that shouldn't be the takeaway. That shouldn't be from that. So since we're talking about we hope the audience takeaways, I hope there's more people out there listening to this commentary that think, yes, what Fish is saying is exactly what I was thinking. Or just, yes, the same sentiment, just worded a little differently. This takes us, and it's, I admit it's bittersweet, and I've had a lot of fun recording this commentary, and part of that's what makes it bittersweet, but also the fact that we were able to have this much fun doing this, even though we knew that this was, this was the end. But it gets to question number 10, which it says, the end, question mark, and I'm going to refer back to Star Trek, and as much as I've been following Star Trek for the majority of my life, I look back to almost a year ago to this recording. I believe it was the first, yeah, it was the first of August, 2018, when I'm reading, hey, guess what? Patrick Stewart announced he's coming back as John Luke Picard. Uh huh. I'm staring at the screen and I went, oh, you mean it's April 1st? Ha <laughs> ha ha ha. That's, that's funny. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is serious. This is, this is happening. Are you kidding? So anything is possible. So, you know, so when I say the end question mark, that's really what this question number 10 is which is under what conditions, if any, would you like to see one more turn return to production and why? I was thinking, oh, this is the most difficult question. Why would you leave it to last? Well, if I made that the first question, you thought it was the most difficult, you're not going to want to answer the rest of them. And then what are we going to do? <laughs> if you had ideas to like jump back into the characters, I mean, not literally five years, but script-wise, five years down the road or something like that, and you wanted to look in on them again or something, or you had an idea and you talked to us and said, hey, would you like to do this? That would be the kind of condition. Because this is series is your series. You're the one who's going to have to create more content for it, basically. At a point you think of something, you want to do something, I think a lot of us probably would still sign up to do it if the characters had a place. Scott, Jennifer, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I think I would. If you came up with something compelling, then yeah, absolutely. In the age of reboots and revivals, if... Under what conditions would I like the series return to production and why? 
it would be a revival. It would not be a reboot. It would not be, hey, guess what? We've got new voice performers for all the characters, and they're 10, 15 years younger than the previous ones. No, that's not happening. I'm not, <laughs> we're not revisiting that. But, Dan, it's your chance to reshoot the pilot. Shut up. I don't want to hear it. You'd always do a prequel, George. <laughs> oh. oh. What would be the prequel to the Doe contract? The Alpha contract? Oh, no. Uh... <laughs> How did Avery get to be so awful? <laughs> Wait a minute. You don't need the prequel series. It was already suggested that the sequel to the series was going to put Avery as the title character. I, yeah, well, I... if you feel like writing it, there you go. But you're the one that has to write it. I'm glad you said that, Mackie. Not just because it inflates my ego and I like my ego. And there was a lot of help in writing this show. And that includes Dark Cloud and Uber Marklar. That includes, I mentioned Fuzzy Fractal 42 in the first season, ECAT 2468 in the second season, and being an editor and providing their feedback on the scripts. And all of the other crew and casts have done that to varying degrees as well. I mentioned Polycast. I've mentioned a poll from Civilization site. Handing off Polycast to somebody else was a bit more of an involved process and a greater thought process than even a Polton civilization site, because I felt that in order for each one of those things to continue, they needed varying parts of my personality and my approach, my discipline, etc., etc., etc. But I thought, yep, with a Polton, yeah, I could hand that off to somebody else. And even Polycast, uh, yeah, okay, I need to be a bit more selective, but even a bit more thoughtful than that. But yes, it's possible, I think, for it to continue without me. But with regards to One More Turn, if someone said, hey, Dan, One More Turn, so I'd like to write it right now, I would just selfishly say, no. That's not selfish. The characters are your creations. You know them better than we do, even though they're the ones that put voices to them. And it's like that for a lot of writers. They would not hand over this because they're attached to these characters and they don't want them to be completely rewritten into something they're not or we don't like this character we're just going to hide him in a corner and ignore them because you've seen that with adaptations of books and things yeah it's like no no not selfish at all oh well that's very kind of you to say even though part of me is like i just wanted to be selfish just for once mackie just for once and i couldn't have it i just oh man well I, I, I write a little bit myself personally i have never published anything candace does the same thing we have our characters we would not let other people handle those characters either yeah, yeah we've seen what other shows have done to those characters like mackie was saying so i agree with her it's not selfish to want to preserve these characters the way you see them dan and not have somebody else's lens change the way you felt that this character would do things and anyway i don't know anybody who can purr like i can <laughs> <laughs> there is that they'd have to get all of you voice actors and that just wouldn't sound right <laughs> well the conditions would have to be right like you guys have, have said, but it would also have to include. Uh, wow, I was going to be like, wait, what does Dan mean by when he says most people? It would have to include a substantial number of you, if in fact not all of you, because I would have a particular story in mind and it would involve certain characters and I would not want to recast any character. And it's not just because some people would say, but Dan, anybody can read lines. And it's true, but we're not just reading lines here on this show. And Dan, anyone can write episodes. Yeah, you're talking about the literal, but we're talking about something beyond that, something that is measured beyond the technical capacity to do something. It's more than just that. And said so one of the most enjoyable parts of this, which is why I continued to write for the show as long as I did, almost not in spite of myself, but given how challenging it was and some of the bumps in the road and in the, the first season and other things going on, 
in my life. I've mentioned polycast, and I'm very busy with that and work and finding time for this amongst other things was because how much fun it was to write and involving people in that and having people like you who have joined me here on this commentary again. And I want to acknowledge that, Scott, you've been on every commentary since one, Jennifer and Mackie, this is your fourth commentary, Canis, this is your third. These kind of contributions make it that much more enjoyable because you help bring the characters to life and you make it more vibrant than if it had just been me writing that. And if you're going to return to that story, then you've got to have the people there that made the story worth telling in the first place. Aww. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. So if, if this ends up being the end of the road for one more turn, ultimately, it's one that I'm happy to say had its place and its time. And I'd be proud to say that, yes, I was a part of this. If nothing else, I want to continue to make this series available to people who may find it in the future. Say, kind of like what Fishbonius said, is where has this show been hiding? To put our name on it and for it to be out there and to have shared this journey has been... And honestly, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing for me to be able to find people that I felt comfortable enough to know to share, like this writing, like thinking of putting this out there in this form, what do we think, and to get that feedback and to make something out of nothing, really, because this is all new intellectual property that doesn't exist in any other capacity. Very much appreciated. Thank you all for, again, being part of this commentary and part of the One More Turn family, and we've we done good. I think we've done good. Yeah, I think we have too. Okay, Dan, now that the series is over, let me tell you how you really should have done it. Right? Okay, well, that's okay. Let's go right ahead. <laughs> You're not going to affect your salary in any way because there's no more. What salary here? It, it was salary. <laughs> yeah, salary sticks. It occurs to me that this may be the end for now, but the name of the show is One More Turn. Yeah. As you say that, I think it's important for people listening to understand where that phrase is coming from. It comes from the Civilization series of computer games. I think you might even apply it to turn-based strategy games in general, where there's literally there's always one more turn until you get to the end of the game. But, you know, there's always another turn either in the current game or in another game. You press the end turn button, you see what the artificial intelligence and or your other human players have done in the game, and then you take your turns. You are acting and you are reacting. And that's what I wanted the characters to do because I wanted it to be reflective of real life. You know, it's a story set in the near future as I had as everywhere as part of the first season promotion and then really never used that phrase again except in news items that I don't know how many people read, but that it's a story that I think if people found it even 10 or 15 years later, they might laugh at some of the references, some of the pop culture references, but that it would still be relevant because in the end, the story was about relationships. It wasn't about the Doe contract. Thank goodness it didn't end up being about the Doe contract. <laughs> I mean, I tried so hard to make it be about the Doe contract and then really tried to have it not be about the Doe contract. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, I really thought this bright, red on the living room wall was a good idea. Oh, oh, okay. No, no, I really need to make this not about the bright red on the wall that everyone knows about. <laughs> but of course, at the same time, it's like, well, I'm going to have to choose a somewhat equally vibrant color to mask it and not have it bleed through. 
and I didn't want the Doe contract to bleed through. That we were able to be on that, and I we have. But we can also be proud of that. that that's part of the story of One More Turn. I don't say that's what makes it most endearing, but it's one of those bumps in the road, just like the characters they experienced. So thank you again all for the One More Turns. <laughs> and until next time, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. Yes, we really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Even though we didn't get to hear from a lot of you directly, and we know the download stats are there and nobody's telling us stop doing this, so we know you enjoyed it at least. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, thank you for doing the show. Thank you for everything. Thank you so much. And it was fun talking to y'all. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Music by Kevin McLeod. Voiceover by Steve, warning you to Warner. Visit the One More Turn website at onemoreturn.net. Copyright Civilized Communications at civcom.net. One More Turn. <laughs>